0: Hey, listeners of the Bio Report. Before we get started this week, I wanted to tell you about the digital library from Deep Dive. How much time does your team spend looking for research papers? Google, PubMed, social media. There's got to be a better way. You can now search a reference database of 100 million scientific papers and read the full text of 20 million articles, annotate them, and share with colleagues. It's the smarter way to do research. Here's the best part. If you're like me and been frustrated by not being able to access articles you find because they're behind a paywall, I've got good news. With Deep Dive, you get one-stop affordable research. If you're a listener of the BioReport, you can try the enterprise version of the service for free for one month. Go to deepdive.com Dot com forward slash podcast and enter the code Bio Report. That's deep dive, D E E P D Y V E dot com forward slash podcast and the code is BIOREPORT one word, all caps. I'm Daniel Levine and this is the Bio Report. Inhibitors such as Eumera and Remicade have been a great biotech success story. These multi billion dollar franchises treat a range of autoimmune conditions, including rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, and Crohn's disease. Jim Woody, who led Centicore's development team for Remicade, the first of the TNF inhibitors, is today in pursuit of new uses for these therapies. Now CEO of 180 Life Sciences, Woody and his team are pushing TNF inhibitors into new indications for inflammatory and fibrotic conditions. We spoke to Woody about the role of TNF in the inflammatory process, the indications his company is pursuing, and why these well-established drugs have gone untapped for these purposes. Jim, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure to be talking with you today. We're going to talk about tumor necrosis factor or TNF, the role it plays in inflammatory conditions, and 180 life sciences efforts to develop new therapies that target TNF. I'd like to start with a little history, though. Early in your career, you served as chief scientific officer and senior VP of research and development at Centicor, and led the team that developed Remicade. The first TNF inhibitor, when you were doing this, at what point did the broad potential for TNF inhibitors become clear?
1: Well, the, uh, it's a fascinating story in that uh, when I joined Senecor as their chief scientific officer, they had a very, very large sepsis program going on treating patients with sepsis, and they had a, a IgM antibody against endotoxin And uh, the initial data was uh, a little unclear, and the FDA required them to do an all-comers sepsis trial, and that failed. And uh, Senecor was in big problem because of that. A lot of uh, people had actually hired a sales force to sell this stuff. So uh, we were talking with the clinicians who treat sepsis patients, and they were convinced that it really was TNF, tumor necrosis factor that was causing the inflammation and the death of these patients. And so we did have an antibody against TNF that was made and we uh, humanized it. And I treated about 50 patients with sepsis with this anti-TNF and nothing happened. And so the moral of the story is the conventional wisdom was incorrect, but we were left with this antibody that was really quite spectacular antibody. Uh, And at that point I came in contact uh, with an old colleague that I'd actually done a PhD degree with Dr. Mark Feldman at the uh, Kennedy Institute of Rheumatology in London. And he had done some experiments with human tissue showing that uh, the uh, rheumatoid arthritis was driven by a series of cytokines. TNF uh, was one, and they found that if they shut off TNF All the others were shut off as well, kind of a cascade. And so we uh, set up a trial and treated 10 patients uh, who uh, had rheumatoid arthritis and were in wheelchairs. Uh, Immediately after they got the drug, they told us their fatigue and their pain was gone. And uh, within a day or so, several of them got out of their wheelchairs and did some pirouette dances, which we had the, Uh, had the video of. So it was quite remarkable. And the rest is kind of history because uh, the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis with anti-TNF is now standard of care. And there's no patients left in wheelchairs in the whole world because of the the anti-TNF drugs and the others that have come along behind it. And with another colleague uh, in Amsterdam, Sander van Deventer, he felt that Crohn's disease was caused by TNF. And sure enough, when we treated some of his patients, uh, they got well. So they could live pretty much a normal life. So uh, psoriasis, the same thing. And so now the anti-TNF industry, which is worth about $40 billion a year with the five drugs approved in the U.S., uh, takes care of the rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, psoriasis, and ulcerative colitis patients. So it's been a... uh, a phenomenal success in terms of uh, actual benefit for patients.
0: Uh, what is TNF and what role does it play in the inflammatory process?
1: Yes, in your, in your body, you have hundreds or thousands of uh, messengers circulating around that tell cells to do things. Uh, most of them are, are helpful. Uh, TNF uh, is necessary, but if it's in very large amounts, it causes uh, inflammation. And so the TNF goes to joints or other places and uh, drives the cells to destroy the tissues by bringing in inflammatory cells and mediators and all sorts of things. So it was discovered by a, uh, a chap called Tony Cerami, who was treating mice with tumors with this uh, with this peculiar uh, protein that he had found, and it did destroy the tumors. And so he called it tumor necrosis factor, but it, only time it was ever used in humans as tumor necrosis factor is that it's so potent that uh, uh, a lot of people uh, became quite ill and several died from receiving TNF. So uh, while it's a, a cytokine, and our job is to block it and make sure the uh, doesn't do any more tam- damage to the tissues uh, of the joints or the colon or the, uh, the bowel or skin, any of those things.
0: And just as a, a clarification on terminology, 180 Life Sciences refers to its programs in this area as anti-TNF therapies. Is there a distinction between TNF inhibitors and anti-TNF therapies, or are they the same thing?
1: They're pretty much the same thing. They're, uh, the basic fundamental is to remove the circulating TNF so that it can't be biologically active. And there's a number of ways to do that. But uh, whether it's an inhibitor or an antibody or anti-TNF, they all do pretty much the same thing.
0: TNF inhibitors are are not only among the most successful biologics, they're also among the oldest. What's the opportunity for new approaches to targeting TNF?
1: Well, most of the companies that uh, have the uh, anti-TNF reagents Uh, have pretty much focused on what we originally discovered, which was rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's disease and psoriasis and ulcerative colitis. Uh, And they have pretty much stuck with that because it's a clear revenue stream. Uh, The scientists who discovered this, Dr. Feldman and his colleagues and myself to some degree, we felt that uh, TNF is probably a bad actor in other places. And they discovered that with uh, Jagdeep Nanchatall, our uh, clinical science leader, that uh, the TNF was driving fibrosis, and so we see some opportunities outside of what's conventionally being done to use anti-TNF drugs to prevent fibrosis. And we have some programs that are addressing that.
0: Your lead program is in Dupitren's disease. What what is Dupitren's and How does it manifest itself and progress?
1: What we found is that Dupuytren's is a disease of the hand, and it begins as a small nodule in the palm of your hand. And this nodule then uh, extends, and it builds small fibrous cords that pull your fingers together, Uh, and uh, you're not able to uh, button things with that hand or type or play an instrument or whatever you'd like to do. And uh, the therapy for this is, uh, they can try some injections of steroids or collagenase, but neither of those work because of the recurrence rate, or eventually they can take, do surgery and just cut out the fibrous cords, which is uh, what happened to my wife. She had this and had a whole year long of steroid injections, which didn't do much, finally had to go to surgery. But even then, it's not fully, uh, fully uh, perfect again. So our thinking on this was that uh, the fibrosis from the initial nodule uh, could be prevented. And our scientists found uh, by looking at actual human tissues that uh, the fibrosis was writ- driven by something called alpha alpha somatin and somastatin. And it was uh, pre- TNF was driving this. So if we block the TNF, we block the whole fibrotic process. And so we've done a 181 patient trial uh, looking at this, half of them treated with the drug, half with uh, placebo, and we'll see the results in maybe third quarter of this year.
0: How well understood is the role of the immune system in Dupuytren's and how does TNF come into play? You know, it's, it's
1: unknown why why this occurs. For some reason, it's more common in Scandinavian countries or people from Scandinavian countries. And uh, there must be some genetic disposition to having this and initiating the fibrosis. That part we don't understand. But uh, what we're aiming at is treating the uh, nodule as it starts and preventing the whole Uh, finger contraction, and the disability that goes along with it. So most of the other therapies are aimed at treating the disease after you've gotten it and that you have the disability. Ours is aimed at preventing it altogether.
0: You're expecting to have phase two results from a study of your lead therapeutic candidate. What is the candidate and, and how does it work? Well, in
1: this particular instance, we're using uh, Humora or Adalinumab, which is made by AbbVie. It's the most popular of the anti-TNF drugs at the, at the moment. Uh, and we're trying that to see if this uh, science really works. Uh, going forward, we may stick with that because you can just buy it and use it, or alternatively use a uh, another drug, or biosimilar that does the same things. So we're in discussion with biosimilar companies that may be uh, more desirable for what we want to do.
0: Do you have to do anything to adjust the formulation? Are there IP issues in doing that? Well, we filed IP
1: around this particular uh, indication and also how we would make a kit that would be uh, specially tailored for injecting these uh, hand nodules. The uh, uh, the biosimilars or the... Uh, Regular drug Humora are, are, are certainly available, and we, we could use that. Uh, we don't intend to try to make a new anti-TNF drug. I think we'll repurpose some of them that are out there and file our IP around that.
0: And what's known about the efficacy of this to date?
1: Well, I mean, uh, like I said, we've uh, started, we've done the largest dupatrin's trial ever run, and uh, we've injected all the patients. And we followed them up now for almost uh, 12 months, been delayed because of COVID in the UK and the ability to just get the patients in and do the uh, measurements as to how well our uh, therapy is working. So we have that all done and they're beginning to analyze the data. So we should have a result probably in about Q3 of this year as to whether it works or not.
0: Among the other indications you're pursuing are frozen shoulder and fibrosis of the liver from non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or NASH. I suspect the analogy between these is that they're fibrotic conditions and there's a biologic rationale for targeting TNF, those types of diseases.
1: Well, we know that uh, in the patients that have this frozen shoulder, which is very painful and eventually the shoulder really becomes immobile. Uh, and that about half of those patients have Dupuytrens. So we think the fibrosis in the shoulder is perhaps the same process as in the dupatrins. And so we'll be injecting anti-TNF into the shoulder and see if we can eliminate the pain and also the progression to the uh, disability. So uh, that would be the strategy there. And in in NASH, our scientists are looking at what are the – mediators that cause the fibrosis in, uh, in the liver, and uh, looking for the targets that uh, we may be able to address, whether they'll be uh, available to anti-TNF or not, we don't know yet, but uh, stay tuned. Uh, later in the year, we'll actually have some results uh, in, in looking at uh, what are the best ways to block the fibrosis in uh, NASH as it proceeds.
0: The indication you're pursuing that stood out to me was post-operative delirium cognitive deficit. What's the biologic rationale for this indication? I assume it's not a fibrotic condition.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh what we're finding, and if you read the literature, this has become a larger problem, that after really uh substantial surgery like like with a uh, emergency hip repair. Or our coronary artery bypass graft, a cabbage procedure, especially as it's being done in older patients now, uh, quite a few of them, twenty or thirty percent, will have uh, mental disabilities after the surgery. The, they'll have some dementia, and some of it is persistent, and they have to end up in nursing homes because they never do come back to being uh, normal. So previously, the uh, the surgeons and anesthesiologists thought was this was related to anesthesia. And uh, we, our team discovered that the levels of TNF that are released from the surgical trauma to the tissues uh, were quite high, and it actually correlated with the level of uh, dementia. And we think that the uh, TNF that's released during the surgery can cause the dementia and the way it does that is that the TNF release drives some other cytokines like IL one and IL six, and these kind of open the blood brain barrier and allow the uh, inflammatory cytokines and and tissues to go into the brain. They end up in the hippocampal area, where uh, it's the center for memory and learning and emotion. So uh, that's the area that's inflamed and. We think that's what causes the uh, dementia. And so we're hoping to prevent that with an infusion of anti-TNF right at the time of surgery. And uh, that trial will be starting uh, later in the year. But uh, if so, it will be a quite, ben- quite beneficial to patients.
0: Drug companies are famous for finding and pushing for new indications for their therapies. Why do you think we haven't seen TNF inhibitors used in this way previously. Uh,
1: I, I think generally the uh, the companies are satisfied with the revenue streams that they get from doing the fundamental things, the arthritis and Crohn's disease and psoriasis, ulcerative colitis, uh, a few other things that they, they've done. But nobody's launched off into a whole new area like we have where we think the fibrosis is amendable to our anti-TNF therapy. So uh, our, uh, our scientists are thinking uh, far ahead and uh, into other areas where this might be important, and we can provide some benefit to the patients.
0: Oh, the company is, also has two preclinical programs it's pursuing. One is in synthetic CBD analogs for chronic pain and arthritis. The other is a, a program in a specific nicotinic acetylcholine receptor, which is a known immune suppressant, You've got a preclinical program in smoking sensation-induced ulcerative colitis. How do these programs relate to the work you're doing in anti-TNF and the expertise the company has in immune biology?
1: Yeah, the overall kind of concern that we have is we're working in areas of uh, inflammation, fibrosis, and pain because they often travel together. Uh, And there's lots of people that have all of these things at the same time. And uh, we know that the anti-TNF, is uh, we think, is very useful for the fibrosis, but also other kinds of inflammation, like arthritis and uh, Crohn's disease, as I mentioned. Uh, along with this, uh, we have programs making synthetic cannabinoid compounds that are very specific. They're non-hallucinogenic, uh, and they're very focused on uh, uh, the uh, cannabis uh, receptors. And we know that already that they're anti-inflammatory and they're anti-pain. And we've tested those in different animal models, and we're pretty sure that this will work. And we'll bring those into uh, into humans uh, and uh, use them along with our other agents to treat uh, inflammation and pain. So we have a combination of things that we might use. These will be oral drugs like pills. And uh, rather than IV infusions, so we're quite quite excited about where we are, and we're selecting the lead candidate molecules as we speak.
0: Jim Woody, CEO of One Eighty Life Sciences. Jim, thanks so much for your time today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week.